just sung Psalm 20 and Psalm 1, which was wonderful. So let's study together Psalm 20, if you have your Bibles. I would encourage you now to turn with me to Psalm 20, and we will walk through this psalm uh, together. I love the fact that we are singing the psalms together. Um, This is something that has been around for, oh, the longest time, and so... Um, It predates even the ancient ones who are here with us this evening, uh, like Steve Summercamp. I see you, brother. And you're really it. Everybody else in here is pretty young. So, sorry, man. Uh, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I didn't get to pick on you earlier today. Uh, You've heard the right, brother. Yes, absolutely. So, uh, anyway, so we are going to be looking at Psalm 20. Again, it's good to be back uh, here. Like I said, we are going to look at Psalm 20 tonight, but I do want to remind you real quick before I forget, um, next week, uh, Sunday evening, the 27th, um, we are going to be back in uh, this room for our members meeting. Um, This is our business meeting that now happens on Sunday nights. Again, we don't have those on Wednesdays. There's nothing happening on Wednesdays at this current season. So next week uh, will be our members meeting. So if you're a member of our church, uh, please make sure you're here next week. If you're not a member and you're just curious as to what happens at the life of Southside, then this is a great opportunity for you to come and hear from several of our teams and our committees and our leadership. And um, we'd love to be able to just chat with you a little bit. So anyway, um, coming back to Psalm 20. Now, Psalm 20 was obviously originally used uh, a psalm used before battle and sung before battle. And so we actually t- see two themes um, for battle begin to play out before us, uh, one being preparation itself and the other one being implementation of a plan. Now, when you begin to look at Psalm 20, since we know that we're speaking about a king who, by God's grace, is hopefully under the sovereign rule and authority of God, really what we have here in Psalm 20 is what can be called a royal psalm. You see, it's called that because it actually shows a prayer of blessing for a people, in particular praying for their leader. And so what we have here is we see the faithful asking for God's blessing and they are praying for their leader and ultimately making it a a, a battle psalm, if you will. They're praying victory for their leader over their adversaries. Now, when you begin to look at Psalm 20 and you kind of wonder, well, how does this fit into the grand scheme of things? This psalm is actually very similar to um, what we also see in Psalm 18 as well. So uh, you could look at Psalm 18 compared to Psalm 20, and you have two psalms that are doing similar things together. So let's just look at this psalm together and read it again one more time just as we sang it. Uh, This time we're going to read it, and then we'll unpack a little bit about what it is that the Lord has for us in Psalm 20. So here it is, Psalm 20, beginning in verse 1. This is a Psalm of David, and he writes, May the Lord answer you in the day of trouble. May the name of the God of Jacob protect you. May he send you help from the sanctuary and give you support from Zion. May he remember all your offerings and regard with favor your burnt sacrifices. May he grant you your heart's desire and fulfill all your plans. May we shout for joy over your salvation and in the name of our God, set up our banners. May the Lord fulfill all your petitions. Now I know that the Lord saves his anointed. He will answer him from his holy heaven with the saving might of his right hand. Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. They collapse and fall, but we rise and stand upright. 
Oh Lord, save the king. May he answer us when we call. Obviously, we see some great proclamations and declarations, if you will. Now, we've got throughout Scripture multiple times where we see prayers of blessings being offered over uh, particular peoples. There's actually been uh, prayers of blessings that are mentioned that we can pray over children. And here, we actually have a, a prayer of blessing over our kings and over our leadership. And so what I want to do is I want to break this psalm down really into two sections, going back to preparation and implementation and then just kind of walk through this thing together as we go. So let's just look back again at verses one through five. In these verses, we see Psalm 20 as a prayer of preparation for battle. Now, when you look at the first word, uh, first Psalm, or excuse me, Psalm 20, verse one, we see that it says, may the Lord answer you in the day of the trouble and may the name of the God of Jacob protect you. Now, you see this word you being used here. And so what we have here is the congregation is now coming together to call out to the Lord to bless the king as he prepares for battle, okay? So if you could imagine for a moment uh, the king preparing to leave um, his, his town and his kingdom to march out into the field of battle, if you could imagine the people gathering around the streets, watching these soldiers, watching the king as they go out, literally these would be words that they would sing over their army as they prepared for battle that day. Now we move from there into uh, verse 2 and it says, May he send you help from the sanctuary. Now this is actually an interesting phrase, the phrase from the sanctuary. Because people often look at this and say, well, are they speaking specifically of a building? Or are they speaking specifically of a place? Maybe this is, a, maybe this is similar to uh, Zion itself. And so we see this, this holy sanctuary that's been set apart from God. Rather, when we look at this phrase from the sanctuary, the Hebrew word that's actually used here for sanctuary is actually not the most common word in Hebrew for sanctuary. Rather, um, the word sanctuary in ESV is good and right and, and, and of the Lord, but a little more of a literal translation would mean holiness. And so when we begin to come back and look at what it is the people are praying, they're actually praying for help to come from the holiness, or better yet, for us today, they are praying for help to come from the Lord their God. Now, this is actually very similar to what we read in 1 Kings chapter 8, verses 44 through 45. You see, in that particular passage, we see that when you go out to, to meet your enemy, when you go out to meet your adversaries, you are to pray. And then what we see in 1 Kings chapter 8 is once we pray, the Lord of heaven will hear your plea. So when we look at verses 1, through, uh, verses one and 2 here of Psalm 20 for us tonight... This is not one of those moments where we look at these verses and see them as justification for how we should pray to God to strike down particular people in the church. This is not a prayer of justification for us to begin praying over people that we would like to see the Lord strike down in our society or in our culture or um, whatever political leader it is that you may or may not like today. Okay, that's not what's happening here. Rather, what it does mean is this. As believers in the Lord our God, 
When we come to someone with conflict or we come to someone with tension or we come to someone um, where we're about to prepare to either deal with their sin or they have come to us in preparation of dealing with us with our own sin or our own personal battles, then the first thing we should do is we should start by praying. We should be just like the faithful are here and saying, Lord, prepare our leaders. God, prepare us for what you are going to do. You see, when we start by praying, before we just jump into a moment or before we click the share button, it all of a sudden puts things back into perspective for us and we begin to see that our focus should still be on God who is our deliverer irregardless of the situation or circumstance that we are about to speak into. Now we go from there and we look at verses 3 and verse 4 and, and we see words like remember and we see uh, words like grant um, within these passages here uh, where he says, may he remember your offerings, may he grant you your heart's desired, even the word fulfill here, this is actually a throwback to when people sought God's favor through particular offerings. Now, what this does not mean at this point is if, this does not mean that if you work, that God will bless. Rather, what the faithful are praying, again, at this point, is they are literally being reminded of when God's favor was upon them. And so now they're praying again that God's favor would remain upon them and also remain upon their leaders. In fact, when they use the phrase, by granting us our heart's desires, they're actually, this is actually a prayer that is asking for God's desire to be done. You see, because the reality is this, as they are praying for their king and they are praying for their leaders, they are ultimately praying that these leaders are close to God, that their life is really intertwined with the will of God. And so when they begin to pray, Lord, grant us our heart's desires, they're not praying a selfish prayer here. This is not a, Lord, give me the heart, my heart's desire. I could really use a new Jeep. Or, Lord, give me a heart, my heart's desire. I just want to see the Falcons win a football game. Disregard the Super Bowl at this point. Let's just win one game. That's a selfish prayer. Rather, when they pray, Lord, give us our heart's desire, they're praying, God, since our leaders are remaining close to you, since they are intertwined with your will, then the reality is the heart's desire that they're praying for is a desire that matches the desire of the Lord in that particular place for those people. So when we pray, as we look at verses 3 and 4, we need to be praying for our leaders. We need to be praying for our leaders to remain close to God. And so we have to ask ourselves at this point, how many of us are actually praying for our leaders to remain close to God? Because here's the reality. If we're not if we're not praying for our leaders, if we're not praying for uh, either their salvation or for the ones that are believers, if we're not praying for them to remain close to the will of God, then how is it even possible that we could even begin to expect God's favor? How is it even possible that we could even expect God's blessings in the places where these men lead? So here's what that means for us. 
When we talk about leaders, I'm not just talking about our president anymore. I'm not talking about our politicians anymore. I'm talking about our pastors. I'm talking about our elders, our teachers. I'm talking about local officials, our sheriff. I'm talking about our local authorities. Some of us are involved in sports in this room. I'm talking about your coaches, your instructors, dare I say our bosses, even though we may not always agree with them. You see, our heart's desire should be for our leaders to be closely intertwined within the will of God. And so how are we praying for these particular leaders. Now we move from there and we get into verse five. And what happens in verse five here is this is actually a simple hymn of praise that we are seeing played out before us in verse five when it says, may we shout for joy over your salvation and in the name of our God set up our banners. May the Lord fulfill all your petitions. Now again, the people recognize the king as God's chosen leader. And so they're praising God for the victory that God now has through this leader. In fact, when they say in the name of our God, we set up our banners, these banners were not for the people. The banners that they're speaking of and setting up were not for them. This was not a, this was not a stick your flag in the ground and name it, claim it type thing going on here. Rather, these banners were meant to be a message of God, about God, for God, and the victory that can be found in knowing him. So again, when we look at verse 5, yes, it speaks of the king's victory. Yes, it speaks of the people's victory. But the banners with which they are speaking of, they are acknowledging that the victory ultimately belongs to the Lord. Because victory itself can only be found in God because it is God who has found favor with his people and with the chosen leader of those people. So here we are again in verse 5 as believers. We need to remember again that when we stake our banner in the ground and we, we join uh, hands with a local body of believers as a local church, the banner we drive in the ground is the victory that we now have because of God. We, again, like we talked about this morning, we are, we are called believers because of God. We are here in this moment because God has ordained this particular moment. We gather for worship because of God, for God. We, we even call ourselves Christians. Why? Not by our own doing, but because of God and what he has done. You see, as a church, particularly American evangelical churches, we need to be careful that we never lose sight of what the Lord has done. Some would argue at this point, well, how is it even possible to lose sight of what the Lord has done? Okay, I'll give you a quick history lesson. Study Western Europe. Won't take you long. Study it. Pick a, uh, Jed, help me. Pick a country, man. I mean, literally pick a country in Western Europe and watch the fall of Protestant Christianity. Watch how churches over time have turned into museums. 
countries that gave us the Protestant Reformation that now no longer exist. They're just museums of a day gone by. Why do I say that? Because here's the reality. If we lose sight of the Lord, that history will become our present and it will be our future. So again, if we're going to place our banners into the ground, let us place the banner that declares it is God who fulfills our requests. It is God who has given us salvation. It is God who fulfills our petitions. Now we go from there in the verses 6 through 9. And here we now see that we see faith as implementation within battle. So 1 through 5, preparation. 6 through 9, implementation. And so we start with verse 6. And we see now I know that the Lord saves his anointed. That phrase, the Lord saves, this is powerful. Because you see from the faithful, we are now seeing their dependence on the Lord. And we're not just seeing their dependence upon the Lord, but we're seeing that in this phrasing by saying, now I know, now I know that the Lord saves his anointed. By saying this phrase the way they are, they are now seeing their dependence on the Lord as a fundamental attitude that they now have. They now realize how dependent upon the Lord they now are. So if we are going to be dependent upon anything, then let us be dependent upon our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You see, this was the problem that was plaguing the church at Ephesus. And we've been talking about this with 1 Timothy. And we talked about it again um, with Titus and, and where he found himself. The issue that was plaguing the church was false teachings. And so what was happening with these false teachings? They began teaching this Jesus plus theology. They were saying to the people, listen, yes, you need the Lord, but the reality is you need the Lord and the following things. Dial this 800 number. I'm kidding. I don't think they had 800 numbers. At least if they did, they hit them really well. You see, when it comes to our beliefs, there is just the Lord. When it comes to us today as the New Testament church, there is simply Jesus and nothing else. You see, our own abilities, again, we talked about this morning, our own abilities will not save us. We will never be good enough to earn it. <clears throat> we will never have the, the best-looking T-shirts or jerseys. We will never have the coolest carpet or the best flag or sign or, or, or yard. It'll never be enough to earn favor with God. But the reality is, as a church, as a body of believers, not the buildings, when we gather, we should be able to say to one another, Jesus is enough. All we need is Christ. If, if all of a sudden this building gets leveled, preferably not with us in it, then we can still worship in that front lawn because Jesus is enough. If we walk in here one Sunday all of a sudden, it's, and usually it's me and Corey first thing in the morning, I'm gonna go ahead and be honest, Corey gets here way earlier than I do. Why? Because he's good like that. He really is, he just does. He gets in, he sets up, makes life really easy for me. I'm, I'm thankful for this man, okay? But when I walk in, let's say I walk in and all of a sudden Corey's sitting in the dark and I'm like, what are you doing? Are you taking a nap? And he tells me, no, the power's not working, okay? We'll just play guitar. We'll do it in the dark. And he says, well, that's a problem. I broke four of my six strings on my guitar. 
what do we do? Well, I'm hopeful that, like Corey and I would think and believe and know, you would think and believe and know, as well, we would be able to look to one another and say, you know what, in the darkness, it's okay. Without the instruments, it's okay. Why? Because Jesus is enough. We can still worship. We can worship in song. We can worry. We still read the word. That's still worship. We can still study the word of God. We can pray. That's all worship. Jesus is why we gather. Not the building, not the stuff, definitely not the people. It's for the Lord. Now, I love it because the psalm then goes from here in the verse 7, and it gives us this great imagery here. It says, some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. Now, what we're seeing here is we're actually seeing the attitude of self-reliance when it talks about people who trust in chariots and people who trust in horses. You see, when we begin to depend upon ourselves, ultimately what we will see is that we will fail. That's why it says, but we trust in the Lord our God. Now, this is actually interesting when you think about it in light of what's happening in our country. I mean, look at the pandemic we're dealing with. We're in, we're in COVID season now. And as I was talking to Allison Torje earlier this afternoon, speaking to a nurse, which is always interesting to me at this moment, talking to people who work with vets and nurses and medical people, it's just amazing because now we're coming into COVID and flu season. And I don't know how that's going to work yet. It's co-flu or, or fluvid. I don't know what you want to call it. But we're moving into a new season now, and we don't know what's going to happen. We just know it's going to be bad. But then this is what happens. Anytime we move into a new season, what do we normally do? We have a tendency to grab away from God and say, Lord, I can handle this. Lord, I can take this. And so as we continue to move into this season, the question that we have to ask ourselves is how has it worked for us to depend on ourselves so far through this COVID season? Well, I'm gonna be honest with you, as a pastor, it's not panned out. See, if we're gonna rely upon anybody during this season, again, what we're being reminded of in verse seven, let's not trust in the chariots, let's not trust in the horses. Rather, if we're gonna trust in anything, let's trust in the name of the Lord our God. In other words, let's think about this. If God can create the heavens and the earth, if God has a plan for our salvation, if God has a plan for his church and then God has a plan for how this is all gonna end, then don't we think for a moment God has a pretty good idea of figuring out how to get us through COVID? He can do it. He will do it. As believers, we are simply called to trust. Now, I love it because we move into verse eight and we see speaking of they, these chariots and horses, they collapse and fall, but we rise and stand upright. In other words, here we are with the psalmist and with the faithful. We are singing this stuff, this stuff, these, these armies, they, they will fail, they will fall, but the Lord is the one who will last for eternity. You see, everything else will be turned to ash. But the one thing that will remain pure and undefiled and refined will be the name of our God. Again, if we're going to have dependence on anything or anyone, if we're going to have faith in anything or anyone, let's put it in the one who will last for all of eternity. And he is the Lord our God. And we move from there into verse 9. 
And it says, oh Lord, here's this prayer. Oh Lord, save the king. May he answer us when we call. Now, again, there's this phrase here, save the king. Now, here's a prayer that the king uh, will not just be saved in battle like what we normally think of, but rather this is more of a prayer that the king will remain uh, faithful and obedient to the call of God. And so what they are praying to is in the faithfulness and obedience that the king has towards God, they are praying that their king would be given victory because of God's favor and God's grace that is now upon him. So again, by God's grace, we're praying again that the leader will be close to God and therefore will draw his people closer to God. You see, that's the interesting thing about leadership, A lot of people want to be leaders, but the reality is not everybody's called to be a leader. But here's the reality, particularly in churches. It's always amazed me that no matter what church you walk into, the people begin to reflect their leadership. Okay? This was never more true than when I coached football. I have seen lazy head coaches, and I saw lazy football teams. I saw coaches who were direct and they worked hard in every aspect of the game and I saw a team that was direct and worked hard in every aspect of the game. The same is true of our churches. If our pastors abandon the word of God, then guess what's going to happen? the people will then abandon the word of God. If our pastors turn to uh, creating services that are more about entertainment and less about worship, then guess what the people are going to do? They're going to turn into consumers and they're only going to want to be entertained. So that's why when we pray for our leaders, and I'm not just talking about your pastors at this point, I'm speaking of elders as well because we're, we've been praying through this process of, of opening the door for our church to be led by God-honoring elders. This is what we need to be praying for our elders, that they would remain fast and faithful to the word that they would remain obedient to the will of God, seeking his favor so that as they draw closer to God, so too are we together collectively now drawing closer to God. You see, if the leader again is close to God, the people who follow will also be drawn closer to God. You fast forward that to James and what he says, we clearly see that being a leader is a great calling. A lot of people are watching, a lot of people are following. That's another conversation for another day. We end with verse nine and it says again, may he answer us when we call. Again, here's the call for the leader and a call for the Lord. Remember going back to verse one here, may the Lord answer you in the day of trouble. Here we are seeing it. May he answer us when we call. This is the people again praying for their leader, praying for this king, praying for the Lord, that the Lord would hear them when their cry comes before him. So you see clearly we are being called to battle. We are being called to prepare for battle. We are being called to implement 
a plan for battle. And that plan is clearly laid out for us in scriptures as we have talked about briefly this morning. You see, the truth is we are currently in the midst of spiritual warfare. And so as people of God, we need to not only be praying to God, but also let us be a people who now pray for our leaders. You see, your leaders need that prayer. Your teachers need that prayer. Your uh, elders need those prayers. So you see, we need to be praying that not only are we individually drawing closer to the Lord, but corporately as we gather, may we together draw closer to God under the authority of a leader who is seeking to draw closer to the Lord as well. And then by God's grace and his goodness, through the example set by the leaders, it would encourage and edify and challenge the people to be able to draw closer to the Lord as well. Man, this is powerful. This is a royal psalm for a king by a people to God for the purpose of praying for their leader to not only have a plan that matches the will of God, but then to have the faith and boldness to implement that plan for the glory of God. Powerful words through a powerful psalm. Having said that, I want to close out our time tonight. I want to do this a little differently tonight. Um, The past couple weeks, we've been closing out by really focusing on praying back through Psalm 20 and praying this over our lives. What I want to do tonight is a little different, if we could. Um, I'm going to ask you right where you are, if you have a word of praise or a word of prayer, I'm going to ask you to voice that out loud tonight. Just, just one thing, okay? doesn't have to be long. doesn't have to be lengthy. You're not going to impress anybody in here with your words, okay? Don't, don't be that person, all right? That's not the goal here, all right? But if you have something that you want to verbalize out loud during this time of prayer, we are going to pray collectively together. Okay, I'll give, it, I'll give you a simple one. Um, you may want to pray for, um, you may say, man, I got a, I, my brother Steve is lost and I'm praying for his salvation. Simple, that simple. If you've got two or three things, then just do one, let a couple other people go, and then throw your second one out there, okay? Does that make sense? Man, let's try it. Does it yes, this means yes, this means no. I'm getting a lot of blank stares. I don't know if it's you don't understand or you didn't have enough coffee this afternoon. And I'm blaming Giovanni for that. So, huh? Zero coffee. That's on you. I'm blaming you for that one. Anyway, I'm just picking on Giovanni since he's going to bring me a cup anyway. I'm looking forward to it. All right, well, I'll tell you what. Let's pray. And then um, I'm going to open us. And then at the end, um, I will close us as well. And then we'll move from there. So let's pray. God, I come before you asking that you would continue to strengthen and unify our church as one faith family.